news, notes, and Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. Here's a pitch on the way, a swing and a bounce. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, July the 11th. It's show number 50 of the 2014 fantasy baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. We'll have our regular weekly Talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola discussing his first half pitcher ratings, the All-Star game and how we might improve it, and what else you might want to do with four days off from fantasy baseball. The Metric Minute moves over from Tuesday, and analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at strand rate and its effects on ERA. The Minor League Minute also comes in from the Tuesday show, with analyst Rob Gordon discussing Dodgers left-handed pitching prospect Julio Urias. In our regular Friday matchups analysis, Greg Fishwick looks at Adam Wainwright, David Price, Johnny Cueto, and more. And in Master Notes, Baseball HQ founder Ron Chandler offers a fun fantasy format for the All-Star Game that has the added advantage of possibly being a federal offense. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Baseball HQ Radio is changing format a little bit. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, we're making some adjustments for the second half of the season. From now through the end of August or thereabouts, we'll be producing one podcast every week instead of two. Our Friday pod will include all the commentaries you know from both editions. The Metric Minute, Minor League Minute, Matchups and Master Notes segments will all have a home here on Friday. And we'll alternate our interviews with experts, Todd Zola sharing the space with outside touts. The show will be a little longer, so we're confident you'll enjoy the expanded Friday edition, starting with this show through the end of the podcast season. So let's get it going. In the first inning of the Friday News and Notes edition, as always, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League, and leading off, it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. It's always good to be here. Plenty of news uh, out of the National League this week. A lot of it bad, especially for Cincinnati and for the St. Louis Cardinals. So let's start in Cincinnati, where the Reds will be without second baseman Brandon Phillips after he tore thumb ligaments trying to make a play in the field. How long is Brandon Phillips going to be out, and what are the Reds going to do to replace him in the lineup? It looks like uh, Brandon Phillips will miss six weeks. Uh, I have to have surgery to repair it to repair that torn ligament, and uh, it looks like it's it's hard to to know exactly. But uh, right now, Skip Shoemaker and uh, Ramon Santiago will see the bulk of playing time at second base while he's gone. Um, uh, Chris Negrin was promoted from AAA and could see some occasional playing time as well. Uh, and then, then of course, Shoemaker moving to second base will increase some time for Chris Heisey in the outfield. But I don't think anything there really exciting for fantasy players. But that's how they're going to handle it. 
Yeah, this is one of those situations where there's going to be a lot of moving pieces, it looks like, in the Reds' lineup as they try to backfill for Brandon Phillips. But none of them is going to be a Brandon Phillips-level player, obviously. And, you know, you can get a little bit interested, I suppose, in Shoemaker and Heisey in a deep league, but I don't think this uh, raises them up to the status of being desirable in a mixed league or any kind of shallow format. No, and the guy who's getting the most playing time increase looks like Ramon Santiago, and of course he's not a guy you want on your uh, on your roster. Also on the shelf, also with torn thumb ligaments, is perennial all-star and MVP candidate Yadier Molina of the Cardinals. The playing time winner here looks to be backup catcher Tony Cruz. So two questions, how much time will Yadier be missing, and how excited should we be about getting after Tony Cruz? Well, it looks like Molina's going to miss eight weeks to 12 weeks of this this guy. And 12 weeks would be, of course, uh, almost a season-ending injury, kind of injury if he's out that long. So uh, so you kind of need to write him off if he's in your lineup currently in, in terms of in fantasy terms. And uh, Tony Cruz, you know, I, I don't think get too excited about Tony Cruz. First of all, there's no speed. There's no power. Uh, 255 BA so far, 242 XBA. So... Uh, not a whole lot a lot there with Tony Cruz. And my guess is with the trade deadline coming up that St. Louis is not going to have Tony Cruz playing very long. So at the moment, you expect Tony Cruz to get most of the playing time. Within the next two to three weeks, we may uh, be saying that Tony Cruz's playing time is back down to backup level. So uh, I wouldn't get too excited about that either. I was just wondering, uh, popped into my head, A.J. Pruszynski got cut by the uh, Boston Red Sox and told to hit the bricks. I wonder if there's any chance that the uh, Cardinals would look at him, given the fact that they are uh, they do seem to look at team chemistry to a certain extent. And from all reports, Pierzynski wasn't exactly a chemist on the on the Red Sox. Well, you know, it's hard to tell. I think I think St. Louis is going to look at everybody who's out there, guys who are free agents and guys who might be available in trade. So, I think they're going to be looking hard at whatever they can find at this point to replace Molina. On Thursday, Cubs second baseman Arizmendi Alcantara, great name, and he had a great game against the Reds. He had four hits, three RBIs, two runs, and uh, it looks like he'll be staying up. Yeah, it does indeed. You know, he came up as a uh, uh, as a replacement for Darwin Barney on, on paternity leave, and and was expected to go right back down. And you can't uh, after the after the game Thursday, the announcement is that he's not going back down at least right away. So. Uh, if he continues to hit, uh, Darwin Barney may find that he was Wally Pipped, and uh, there's a guy certainly to look out to look at if he's still on your waiver wire. Uh, might be your Brandon Phillips replacement. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, Alcantara is a t- was a top prospect coming in, so this is not a huge surprise. No, not at, not at all. I mean, it was you know if you look at the Cubs list, they've got some very very good prospects, and so he was down sixth or seventh on their on their prospect list, but. He's been playing well at AAA all season, hitting close to 300 with a ton of extra base hits. Not a lot of home runs, but a lot of doubles, a lot of triples, and uh, an excellent speed on the base paths. So certainly someone that could produce, could produce fanalytically for you, the guy who can kind of uh, fill up a uh, fanalytic box score. Of course, uh, speaking of injuries, the Colorado outfield has seen more than its share, and that situation has opened the door for Corey Dickerson, and he's really taken advantage of the opportunity. Uh, batting three thirty-five as we speak, 11 homers, 34 RBIs, 37 runs scored, and he's even managed six stolen bases. In a Facts and Flukes column this week, Jeff Tomich looks at whether Dickerson can keep up the pace. What's the story? Dickerson was a guy that we that we pushed early on, before he had playing time, and now we not kind of need to look at the other side of the coin here. I mean, uh, here's a guy, he's, he's hitting very, very well, but uh, XBA is 297, uh, expected batting average the rest of the way. We're expecting him to, to hit, uh, that XBA will probably stay around 296, we think, the rest of the way. So, 
probably some drop-off in batting average. Projected BA the rest of the season is 283. Um, power may, may stay there. 11 home runs now. We're projecting nine more for the season, so could have a 20 home run season in his, in his rookie year in sort of part-time at-bats. Uh, and a few more stolen bases. Uh, here's a guy that, that it looks like by the time we look at the end of season line, projection is around a 300 BA, 20 home runs, 62 RBIs. Certainly not a bad season, but probably not likely to stay at quite the level he is at the moment. But also not the kind of guy you're thinking is a flash in the pan. It's, it looks like solid $20-ish production the rest of the way. And if his owner in your league is a little nervous that he's going to either lose playing time or, or lose some productivity, maybe this is the time to make an offer. It might be. And certainly in a keeper league, uh, the kind of guy you want to go after, he could be a solid outfielder for, uh, for quite a while, especially uh, given, uh, given uh, the Colorado uh, hit situation in Coors Field. I read the other day that the Rockies are kind of committed to getting Michael Kadire back, uh, re-signing him, so uh, a little bit of caution there for Dickerson, but clearly he's a player on the rise and, and is somebody you need to be looking at down for not just the rest of this season, but down the road as well. Uh, Stephen Nickrand, our starting pitcher's buyer's guide columnist, looks at base performance value leaders for June. Uh, base performance value, uh, many of our listeners will be familiar, but if you're not, it's a combined metric that looks at strikeout rates and ground ball rates and so forth and adds them all up. And really what you're looking for is a, is a guy, Stephen now says for starting pitchers, 125 or so is what, you're, what you need to be looking for. And among the names on the list for June, Red's surprising starter, Alfredo Simon. Yeah, you know, Alfredo Simon put together some, some excellent skills in June. Uh, he's not a, a great strikeout pitcher, but a 5.8 dom, a 1.3 control, 52% ground ball rate, uh, got to a 98 BPV. So an excellent month for, for Simone. And Here's a guy with a, a 10% swinging strike rate, 94 mile per hour uh, average fastball. So probably those strikeouts could go up a little bit. That dom may actually be a little bit low. And uh, first pitch strike rate of 61% is okay. Uh, that tight control he displayed might not might not last, but kind of a, a decent speculation at this point. Uh, could could do very well. We think the rest of the season projected balance is 3.80 ERA, and, and that's not bad at all. Yeah, still the $13 pitcher projected for the rest of the year. I, I agree that I, I think that what he's doing now absolutely is his peak. He's at 270 ERA, 105 whip, and uh, the, all signs point to that he can't maintain quite that high of a level, but he's still going to be a contributing pitcher, and uh, I think you could do worse. Again, there's going to be guys in many leagues who are going to be nervous about Alfredo Simon at this point. Every analyst in the world seems to be saying he can't possibly keep it up, and they're probably right, but I wonder if the doom saying makes people think he's going to fall off farther than he actually is. Uh, Stephen Nickrand also mentions the Padres' Jesse Hahn, who had a terrific June, uh, four wins and 234-104 overall with 41 strikeouts and 35 innings. This kid looks really good, and I, I actually have him on my July team, Nick, in a monthly league at ChandlerPark.com. Do you think I made a good choice? Yeah, I think you did. I, I, Jesse Hahn looks interesting, but uh, I, at this point, I, I would I, it's the kind of guy you take a flyer on because you're not quite sure what he's going to do. Um, outstanding, outstanding month of June and pitching very, very well at the moment. 148 BPV, uh, 48, 47% ground ball rate, a lot of strikeouts. Um, right now his strand rate is 85%. Uh, his, his, uh, and he has a, a low, below average first pitch strike rate, 57% first pitch strike rate. So those walks, which are the biggest problem right now, a 3.1 control ratio, 
probably not going to come down much. And so that's uh, something to keep an eye on. But uh, certainly Han is pitching very, very, very well. He's a guy that's worth taking a chance on at this point. You don't want to build your, your uh, roster around him, but certainly, certainly someone definitely worth a flyer right now to see if he can keep this up. I should say that if you're looking at him for the entire balance of the year, Baseball HQ is pretty pessimistic about Jesse Hahn projecting a 4.06 ERA, which is not that great, a 147 whip, which is really not good, but he will deliver you the strikeouts, 50 strikeouts in about that same number of innings. Nick, uh, thanks very much for talking with us. This has been a a really interesting week, unfortunately, for uh, many reasons, uh, but we do appreciate you taking the time, and we'll talk to you again in a week's time. All right, thank you, Patrick. It's always good to be here. Harold Nichols writes pitcher matchup reports for Baseball HQ, and he's our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's go to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hi, PD. Good to be back. Lots of news this week in Major League Baseball and in the American League, especially the American League East, where the news is not good in New York. Matt Dodge was busy talking about Masahiro Tanaka He's out with a partially torn ulnar collateral ligament. That usually means Tommy John surgery. The doctors have not recommended the procedure yet, but he is going to miss six weeks while he tries to get through it with therapy and rehab and so forth. Uh, I'm reminded of the old Rocky and Bullwinkle show where Rocky would say, ah, Bullwinkle, that trick never works. I think he's done. Matt Dodge covered it. What do you say? Tanaka owners need to find another horse. There's really not that much to say about this one except to expect the worst. He's likely done. Uh, Matt seems to think that Chase Whitley is going to be quickly back into the rotation, and, and those are all the reports we're hearing. Uh, he, he's been struggling recently after a decent start. He's, he's got league average uh, peripherals. Uh, uh, his, his results are worse than his peripherals are. He's been the victim of a, of a high hit rate, 34% and a 60% strand rate. Um, and, of course, the Yankees are going to try to acquire some more starting pitching before this month's trade deadline. So Whitley may not be the final solution if his bottom line can't get better. But, uh, yeah, the Yankees are in a world of hurt right now. And, of course, they already lost uh, CC Sabathia for the season with a knee injury that just never quite got back to form despite him losing all that weight and so forth. Uh, my question is, do the Yankees, do you think, have enough prospects, which is what people are usually looking for, to acquire uh, any kind of impact starting pitcher to shore up their rotation? Yeah, my real question is whether they're going to gut the farm um, given where they are in the standings. This this really doesn't look like the Yankees' year. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to try to make uh, uh, trades like Brandon McCarthy. Uh, try to go try to target teams who are having fire sales and and get get potential pieces on the cheap. Well, you mentioned Brandon McCarthy. Uh, how does he shape up in Yankee Stadium? Well, he's another guy who, um, he's a uh, terrific peripheral iffy results guy. I mean, if you look at his, uh, his numbers, um, uh, you just wonder why he's not doing any better. He's got a, a 3.20 expected ERA, but his ERA is 4.80. Um, he has a 56% ground ball rate, yet he's got a 1.2 home runs per nine innings and uh, a 19% home run fly ball rate. Yankee Stadium isn't exactly kind to pitchers giving up a lot of home runs, but by all um, reason, Brandon McCarthy shouldn't be giving, shouldn't be doing this badly. So I expect to turn around to a degree. The question is, is whether it'll be enough for fantasy owners. Well, uh, let me ask you: Would you, would you place a bet on Brandon McCarthy now that he's out of? 
the uh, Arizona situation and into at least a place where they can hit a little bit? Yeah, he's with a better team, definitely. It really depends on how much I needed pitching. Abs- absolutely, if I needed pitching, I'd, I'd take a flyer on McCarthy. Um, I'm trying to put myself in that position right now because in both of my dynasty leagues, I'm, I'm pretty much running the field and pitching. So I don't need Brandon McCarthy. But lots of people do. I was just looking up his uh, his splits with runners on versus uh, with nobody on, and he does give up a much higher batting average, uh, three eleven to uh, two to two ninety two uh, men on base versus uh, no men on base, and across the board, all those numbers go up. Uh, his OBP is uh, given up is about forty points higher with men on his. Slugging percentage is about the same, but he's he definitely seems to have a little bit of trouble pitching from the stretch. So I guess we'll see if he can keep guys off base and maybe improve his. Always, uh, you're right. He's always been a little um, puzzling in the in the fact that he has seems to have good skills and never gets good results. Uh, let's discuss a player who was mentioned more than a few times in our mid year fantasy player awards last week, Jose Abreu of the White Sox. Now. A lot of fantasy owners sold high after Abreu had that first big initial burst, then he had a little slump and he was hurt, but he's roaring back with a vengeance, and he headlined a Facts and Flukes column recently by Matt Cederholm. What does Matt see in Jose Abreu, and what's your opinion? Well, I was one of the early adopters. I own him in a league that I'm in first place in. I've always believed in him, and I was one of those people who who said, don't sell high. Um, I thought he was going to do very well as the weather warmed up in the cell, and that's actually not what's happening. He's hitting most of his home runs on the road, um, but I think he is going to hit more home runs even as the weather gets warmer. His power is very real. There's there's a huge gap between his power index and his expected power index, as uh, uh, Matt uh, uh, notes in in the fact fluke column. Um, but when your uh, when your when your when your power index is 229, I mean, who cares? I mean, he's uh, uh, he's an amazing player. I think his contact rate's going to get better. His expected batting average has been over over 318. Um, do not sell high on Jose Abreu. His hard contact index is 114, which is good, but not fantastically great. And uh, his fly ball percentage kind of low for a home run hitter at 35%. All of that said, the, the man can surely hit a baseball, and we're projecting 19 more homers and 50 more RBIs, which means he's going to finish the year close to 50 homers and over 120 for RBIs. That's not bad. Yeah, we're looking at an historic season for a first-year player, even though he is an experienced Cuban professional. Um and this was something I thought was very possible playing in the park that he's playing in. Another prominent American League power hitter, Miguel Cabrera, was the subject of a Facts and Flukes article by Dave Adler at Baseball HQ. Cabrera has not made his owners nearly as happy as Jose Abreu has his. Even though the numbers are really good for Miguel Cabrera, it just somehow doesn't feel like Miguel Cabrera. What is Dave seeing? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. The table that Dave presented in the Fact Fluke column, it shows just how... how absolutely outstanding Cabrera's been over the past few years. I mean, last year he hit 348. Year before that he hit 330. Year before that, 344. 
He's had uh, 44 home runs in each of the last two years. And, and these numbers this year, he's hitting 308 with 14 homers at the half. They look absolutely pedestrian. If you look at his peripherals, there's really not that much different other than his patience is down. Uh, in fact, it's interesting. It reminds me a little bit of Albert Pujol in his last year with St. Louis. I don't want to alarm anybody, but uh, that patience dropped from 14% to 9%. It doesn't look like that's having uh, that much of an effect on his other numbers. Uh, perhaps his power numbers knows. Um, but Cabrera has been merely very good instead of outstandingly awesome and I think that's what's bugging his owners. And rightly so uh, his home run numbers are certainly going to end up well off unless he has a second half for the ages. 44 home runs each of the last two years, just 14 so far this year and he, if you double it giving him a little extra credit that's still under 30. Uh, where has all the power gone I guess is the question. Yeah, no, it's, and it's a good question. We'll have to see if his uh, if his fly ball rate normalizes. I mean, he's usually up uh, 20, 20, 20 plus percent home runs per fly ball um, for fly balls, and now he's at 14 percent. So I'm looking for a little bit of a bump there. But even if he hits only 35 homers and hits 308 or 310, it's still a pretty darn good year. It is, but it's not a $40 year, which is what people expect because a lot of them bid $40 or take him first or second overall. This does seem like a a bad year for Miguel Cabrera, a good year for most players, a bad year for him. And I guess the question is, is it the start of an age-related decline or is it one of those outliers? Maybe he's got an injury that he's not talking about. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Jock, let's move on to our lightning round, talk about some stories that have been covered in playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. Um, an interesting story out of Boston. Uh, A.J. Przinsky was designated for assignment, which means basically they've cut him. And uh, there were stories that came out after the fact uh, that he was not a popular guy in the clubhouse in Boston. Yeah, what a shocker, huh? Out of Boston, a uh, player leaves the, the, the team and all of a sudden the stories start coming out, particularly with AJ, whose reputation wasn't exactly uh, sterling going in there. Um, this, is, this is the first part of a Red Sox youth movement. They're waving the white flag. This team has been moribund all year. You can expect more change, but uh, with respect to the catching position, uh, David Ross is going to take over part of the duties. Uh, He's still going to be the second string guy, but he's going to see more playing time, uh, which makes his power a little more interesting as a number two fantasy catcher. Christian Vasquez is just called up. He's a solid defender. He's got a, a bat that's in question. He may not hit more than 240, 250 early on. It'll be interesting to see where A.J. Przinsky catches on with his uh, new 49% ground ball rate in the reduced offense. Yeah, the uh, Vasquez's 240 um, batting average doesn't sound like much, but Ross is well below that. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, Boston catching isn't the place to be looking for your solutions right now unless all you're looking for is Ross's power. Harold Nichols and I in the National League Market Watch just a moment ago talked about uh, A.J. Przinsky possibly going to St. Louis. They're certainly going to be looking for a number one catcher with Yadier Molina potentially done for the year. Yeah, it'll be interesting, um, given the reports coming out of Boston, whether St. Louis wants to subject it, subject itself to a uh, to uh, AJ's personality in the clubhouse, which uh, has never been very good with pitchers for a long time, uh, but people keep taking a chance on him, and uh, I, you know, I wonder if it's because of his offense. So it'll be interesting to see if he lands somewhere now. Yeah, AJ Przinsky's an interesting guy. He's got a lot of skill. He always has had, but he's moved around quite a bit from uh, team to team, and I wonder if it's just because people don't like being around the guy, and and as as helpful as he might be with the glove and with the stick, at least as a younger man. 
boy, uh, you know, it, there comes a point where you just can't tolerate guys who are that poisonous in your in your clubhouse. And as you said, A.J. Przinsky's reputation has preceded him. In Houston, they activated Josh Fields, and he had a pretty decent performance, which suggests that maybe uh, Houston's got some names to play with when trade deadline approaches for bullpen help. Yeah, you know, if you look at Fields' numbers uh, since he came back from the minors in May, and he's, ha- he's had a short DL stint since then, He's been striking out hitters at an enormous rate. He had, he has in July, well, in, in uh, since since June and July, um, he's got a, a swinging strike uh, ratio of, of over fifteen percent. He's got a uh, a dominance uh, of of uh, of near fourteen percent right now. This is a guy who I still think is Houston's best bet for the closer of the future, at least who is on their current roster right now. The thing that people are asking is, is this is Houston going to put Chad Qualls and Tony Sippen to play at the trade deadline? And I actually wonder about this because I still think there's too much volatility on Houston. And the pen is one of those things that looks a lot better lately, recently. I like Josh Fields. I like his future. Um, he could close games for Houston at the end of the year, um, but I still think that's up in the air. Also in Houston, they put Alex Presley, the outfielder, on the de- disabled list. Presley was having... Not a great year, but he was contributing here and there. So this at least gives Enrique Hernandez an opportunity to play. And you like, uh, what is Kike? Is that what they call him? Yeah, Kike Hernandez. He's one of my favorite uh, playing time uh, uh, speculations over these last uh, two-plus months of the season here. The good thing about Hernandez is he, he plays very good defense and he's very versatile. He can play left field and he can play shortstop. And that's where Houston's biggest voids are. And so far, so good. Uh, he's hit 345 in his first 29 at-bats. Uh, he's hit a home run. He's walking at a 12% rate. I'm not sure all of these skills are real. He does hit for good contact. He, he gives a lot of energy on the field. But he's one of those guys who's going to get opportunity. And if you need a versatile guy and you need a guy maybe to spark your team for a couple of months, uh, give Hernandez a shot. I like him. And finally, Jock, in Toronto, Adam Lind, who is having a good year, has gone down with a broken foot, and he's going to be out six to eight weeks, which is most of the rest of the season. So how does this affect the uh, Jays' batting order, and how does it affect anybody's fantasy prospects? Yeah, the poor Jays. I mean, they didn't need this with uh, Edwin Encarnacion already out. Uh, Nolan Reimold looks like he's going to get some extra bats, and and I watched Nolan play this last uh, week, uh, the, the early part of the week over uh, against the Angels here in Anaheim. He went four for eleven. He actually looked pretty good. Um, if he's healthy, he could be interesting. Uh, speedy Darren uh, Mastroianni is going to get some outfield at bats, and maybe journeyman Dan Johnson, who takes Lynn's roster spot for now. There's not a lot of big names here, though. Reimold might be the most interesting. And if Nolan Reimold's the most interesting, then there's not much interest here. He's characteristically been a sub-80% contact guy, which really limits his batting average, although he has hung up some pretty decent batting average results, albeit in small samples the last couple of years. Uh, Altogether, this is just really bad news for Toronto, and there's no other way to look at it. Yeah, now you're just looking for playing uh, playing time opportunities and who who might get uh, hot for a few weeks. And... uh, not really looking for a big name to, to, to buoy your, your, your fantasy offense. I seem to remember Mastroianni getting some stolen bases when he played for Minnesota, but being a really one of those punchless guys who really can't help your fantasy roster very much at all, unless maybe getting six bags would get you four points in the category.
Yeah, and this was a long time ago, too, when he was stealing bases. He's had a lot of leg injuries since then, so you really wonder what he has left. All right, Jock, thanks very much for catching us up on the American League News. We'll do it again next week. Okay, PD, see you then. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our American League beat reporter here at Baseball HQ Radio. Coming up next, it's our regular talk with Todd. Hang in there, Todd Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. Playing fantasy baseball is about having fun. So have more fun more often with One Month Fantasy Games at ChandlerPark.com. One Month Games offer the best of both worlds, the fast action and excitement of daily games with the strategy and tactics of full season formats. You draft your team using set salaries, all based on player performance. Then you set your roster twice a week, playing matchups and hot hands. Best of all, one bad month doesn't sink your whole season. And a fast start puts you in the money that much quicker. More fantasy fun, more often, with One Month Fantasy Games at ChandlerPark.com. This is Ron Chandler, Monthly Fantasy Baseball. More drafts, more pennant races, more fantasy fun more often. Give it a try. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes Edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. Keep your eyes peeled this week at BaseballHQ.com for these features. Brian Rudd shines the facts and flukes spotlight this week on Twins second base breakout star Brian Dozier. Dr. HQ Rick Wilton looks at the latest platoon of players headed to the disabled list. Masahiro Tanaka, Brandon Phillips, Yadier Molina, Joey Votto. It's like an all-star team going on the DL. And Dr. HQ will look at those injuries. And Matt Gelfand's Facts and Flukes daily coverage looks at Manny Machado, Annabelle Sanchez, Jose Quintana, Adam Eaton, and more. Plus, we have all our regular features, performance validation in Facts and Flukes, daily analysis of changes in playing time, our buyer's guides, pitcher matchups, and so much more, all on the site now or coming up soon at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday Talk with Todd, and it's a pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola, contributor to BaseballHQ.com, ChandlerPark.com, ESPN, Fantasy Alarm, Masters Ball, and others. Todd Zola, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Really great to be back, Patrick. As we steam towards the All-Star break, I'm just wondering, you're a longtime baseball fan, what do you think of the All-Star game? Well, to be honest, this might not be the answer that a lot of people want to hear, but it's not my favorite game of the year. Uh, if I didn't have a commitment to work it and watch it work while watching it, I may not I probably would have had it on, but it wouldn't be the only thing I'm focusing on. I don't know. I'd like you said, been watching this for a long time and back when I was a kid, it used to be the time to see some of these other players in the other league. And heck, it was even a chance to see some of the players in the American League cuz you know, you just TV wasn't as prevalent or, or not as many games were on. I didn't get to watch as many games. So the thrill of being able to see some of the stars from the other league with, you know, with interleague and, and MLB TV and extra innings and just being able to go to the web and look at highlights, you, you see them all. And, and so that kind of, that, that's kind of taken away. And the actual winning, who wins, loses, the whole this counts sort of thing, I, it does, I suppose, but it, it's not enough to, to make me want to sit with bated breath every pitch being thrown. Yeah, I, I'm old enough to remember the game of the week, and so you'd see, you'd literally see one baseball game every week, and and things being what they were, just as they are, the game of the week tended to involve the Yankees, tended to involve the Dodgers, 
you know, the big the big clubs in the big cities and not so much the, the lesser teams. Maybe once a year you might see, you know, the uh, Cincinnati Reds or something, even when they were a terrific ball club in the mid-70s. And so the All-Star Game was this, as you said, it's this one chance to see these great stars that you'd only read about in the newspapers and maybe in the, in the baseball magazines or Sports Illustrated or something. And now... I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but I have the extra innings package. I can see every game there is, you know, and sometimes depending on your television set and depending on your cable settings, you can watch five, six games at a time and you can see everybody doing anything or, or there are computer programs, I believe, that will allow you to jump to your player when he's at bat anywhere and at any time. If he's on your fantasy team, he just jumps onto your screen at the point when he's coming up to the plate. So the allure of it is different. Do you think they could do anything to make the game itself more interesting? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like that we used to do it in college and, and play. And before you advance to the next base, you had to drink a beer. Of course, we were playing <laughs> softball at the time, and you know, so the better players would obviously have to have more beer. Maybe something like that. I don't know. Other than that, I think I, I thought about a draft, but I don't know if that would really make me all that interesting. Uh, could you could you do something like hockey and, and play? USA versus four of the foreign countries, I guess perhaps, but it's still the same players. It's it's not as if you're seeing different players, and I don't think the the game itself doesn't have that. I don't know. I don't use the word hatred because that's awful strong, but dislike of one team playing the other. There's there's none of that feeling. Like I think the American League used to not like to play the National League because they were getting their butt handed to them for so many years in a row. I don't think that feeling exists anymore. And if you don't, if that doesn't exist, you lose that element. For me, the Olympics, I don't watch anymore because, you know, we don't hate Russia anymore. So I, I, it's not as fun. That, that element of it, of the, the, the white hat, black hat, it doesn't even exist anymore. So I'm not sure what you can do to, to put that element into the game. Well, you mentioned the idea of having a player draft. They tried that in the NHL a couple of years ago, and it was very popular, at least here in Canada, because hockey drafts are a really big thing. And I wonder if there's some kind of fantasy element that you could incorporate. Although I will say the second time they tried it in the NHL, interest was greatly reduced because that's the problem with gimmicks, is that once you try your gimmick once, everybody thinks, oh, that was fun. And then you bring back the gimmick the next year, and everybody goes, yeah, we've we've seen that. You know, it's not that interesting. But I wonder if maybe the... Major League Baseball could adopt some kind of fantasy format where, you know, you enter some kind of competition, whether it's a, a skills competition like a fantasy, a fantasy game of some kind where anybody who wanted to could enter and the leaders at the half, like two, sh- two schlubs, two guys, could go in and be the guys who pick the teams for the All-Star game. And, uh, and maybe the winner gets 100 grand or something like that, which would, uh, for a year at least, might create a gimmick that everybody would find entertaining. Actually, as we were as we were talking, I I do have an interesting thought about the draft that just sort of sort of stuck into my head. I don't know how the NHL did it if they sort of had the players that were assigned to be all stars and they chose from them, or if they just had the open pool and you can choose anybody playing hockey or whatever. In in baseball, it, just like fantasy, it would be very interesting to see how the team was constructed. You know, if you have the first pick, are you going to take Clayton Kershaw or are you going to take Mike Trout? Are you, you know, so are you going to go pitching or hitting? And then if it's an open field, if you're allowed to take anybody and not have pre-assigned all-stars, where does the defense, do you take defensive players? Are you going to, you know, put a guy in at the end to play center field for you? Or, or, or where are you going to take the middle relievers? How much do they want to win? So I think the team construction aspect would be more interesting to me than the actual draft. But, uh, you know, chances are 
they would have some sort of pool set up of at least these players have to make it and then maybe have, you know, X wild cards that you could take that aren't in the, you know, pre-assigned seats to be in the All-Star game sort of thing. Yeah, the National Hockey League one, it was a pre-assigned pool of players. The players had been chosen and basically they were just assigning these 45 or 50 guys to, to one team or the other. But the selections were being made by the team captains, their colleagues, and I think they thought that would be real interesting because the question was, is you know Patrick Kane going to end up being on the team with his with his buddy Jonathan Taves who was the captain or is he deliberately not going to pick him ha 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 isn't this entertaining I'll take your idea one step further I think that if they had that format the two guys who picked the teams should be allowed to manage the game yeah that would be interesting yeah for, for sure uh and I would I would yeah like I said I would I would actually tune in for the draft I would and then, and I have the game on in the background that would be fun I'd be very interested to see and I guess it would depend upon who was picking as far as where they would go as far as pitching versus hitting versus defense versus specialty sort of players. Right, and if the pool is wide open, then perhaps you get some guy who won the, the, the Joe Schlub who won the contest happens to be from Kansas City and you end up with him picking like seven Royals or something like that and everybody's gnashing their teeth and chomping their gums because Robinson Cano gets left out but Johnny Giovatella's on the team, you know, and, and it could be quite hilarious from that point of view. And I think maybe we should also adopt that uh, advance a base, drink a beer uh, concept as well. That Well, that, that that was fun. It was a great way to equalize... The, uh, the better softball players and the lesser softball players. Moving on back to in the day. actual stuff. Uh, you, at fantasyalarm.com, you a couple of weeks ago had your uh, first half valuations for hitters. We talked about that last week here at Baseball HQ Radio. This week you have your starting pitcher first half values. Uh, what did you notice about the pitchers list overall? What were your general observations? Well, generally, well, I was sort of keeping an eye on the elite pitchers because as we've talked about in first pitch forums, the first pitch form series lately in the spring, the elite pitchers are becoming a subset of, of players that tend to hold their value that, 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 you know, rely, you can use the word reliable with the better pitchers. And I, it's only half the year, so I don't want to draw any conclusions, but I was sort of curious at least halfway through where some of these better pitchers are, are, are falling within the list. Is it, was it worth investing an early draft pick or spending $30, $35 on your staff anchor? Uh, you know, year to year to year, things do change, but you know, you, you should, you can look at trends as far as team construction. You know, to be quite honest, I don't do the drafts, at least the high stakes draft. I haven't been able to crack that code yet. So I don't know that it's my player evaluation. I'm pretty sure that it's my team construction. So that's the sort of thing that game theory sort of thing that I'm looking at more than am I evaluating this player correctly? You know, is if I'm, is am I drafting this player in the right spot? So you know, it's, like I said, it's early, but it's never too early to at least you know put a little red dot next to somebody to, to track to see what happens throughout the course of the season. The number one starting pitcher overall in your halfway first half values was Johnny Cueto of the Reds, is having a tremendous season. And I'm wondering how big of a surprise was this to you? And secondly, how much of it do you think is skill versus how much of it is due to me drafting him last year in Tell Wars and not this year? I, you know what? Uh, from your track record, I think that that pretty much is the answer to the question. Although I I should probably give the list of the players that are on my NFBC auction team so people know that the healthy guys will will soon be hurt because it's been a real rough week in that regard. 
Quato, uh, I mean, the, the, the skill, Quato has a very interesting career arc. Now, it's really easy to go back and, and write the narrative knowing what we happened and, and saying this is why and who really knows, but he was one of the first, I, to such a thing, the internet sensations when the internet really became popular as far as communication and with, with fantasy baseball. He came in, you know, blazing and just with a high strikeout rate and was one of the first internet darlings that everybody talked about. And, also, everybody said was was due for regression and that sort of thing. Uh, his walk rate was was high, but he learned to throw strikes. He got the walk rate down, but it was at the he had to sacrifice strikeouts to do it. Now, whether he that's what whether he purposely did it or not, or whether the numbers just happened that way, who knows? But that's the narrative if you look at the numbers. And he's kept the walk rate down, but ramped the strikeouts back up. So he's sort of back to where he was when he first hit the scene, and Surprised at the performance? No, not really. Surprised at the health more than anything else. I've had Cueto on my team a number of years, and I know how well he can pitch. Uh, I am surprised at the the durability. It's not just it's not just the the fact he's still healthy. He's going really far into games. He's he's throwing a lot of innings per start, and that's more as much of a surprise as anything else to me. Johnny Cueto went for 13 bucks in the uh, Tout Wars National League auction, and he's delivered probably, what, two, two and a half times that. And I guess the question is, how do you think a guy like him can maintain that $30 momentum? I think skills-wise, he can. It's just a question of durability. Is he going to be able to... I think the innings have to slow down just because he's at a pace to throw 250 or 260, which he's just not going to do because no one does it. You know, Kershaw doesn't do that, so I don't see Cueto doing that. So whether it's whether they skip a start or he he just doesn't go as far into games in the second half, I don't know. But um, the innings are helping his value, especially. I mean, his strikeout rate is good, but you know, the extra innings get those extra strikeouts and those really good ratios. Obviously, the the more innings, the more they help. So once the innings slow down, I, I think the pace. The value might drop a little bit, but it's if he stays healthy, he's, he should be right there. He would have been right there in most in most people's minds had they been sure he was a you know a 200 inning pitcher. But he's only done that once in his career, and the second high was 185 innings back in 2010. So if you can't count on 200 innings, he can't be in the ace tier. Besides Cueto, there are three pitchers in your top 10 that I'm sure nobody predicted would be anywhere near there. Uh, Scott Casimir was number 93 in your preseason projections. Josh Beckett was way in the hundreds, 118. And Julio Tehran, a pretty good young pitcher in Atlanta, was still only 47th overall. Here they all are in the top 10. What can we learn about these particular pitchers surprisingly ascending into this elite level? Well, they all actually, they all actually have a different kind of a different profile, so I don't think we can put our finger on any one thing other than to say you never know what can happen and that the old axiom you know where where, where pitching can emerge although if you go back and players emerge you know charlie blackman emerged in the outfielders players can emerge in every single list but you know josh we'll, we'll start with beckett real quick with beckett it's all about the home run if you look at his 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 strikeouts and walks over the years they're remarkably similar. In his good years, he kept the ball in the yard. In his bad years, he gave up home runs. And this year, he's limiting the home runs a bit, and he's also had some really good luck on batted balls and play. And the, the, 
going into the season, we weren't even sure if he was going to pitch with the, with the surgery that he had. And, you know, I don't want to say it was career-threatening, but it, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Beckett would be on the mound, let alone as successful as he was. But numbers, he's the same pitcher he's always been. And, he, you know, similar to... Uh, similar to Cueto is, is will he be able to maintain the health? Although there's a, there's some regression coming to Cueto. There's, there's more regression, at least on the way theory in theory to, to Beckett. Um, you know, as we talked about, you, you can't say regression will happen. You can only say it should happen and it, it should happen. And Casimir, I got fooled a bit. Now, I had him and Liriano in sort of the same class in my head that I wasn't touching either one of them, Francisco Liriano, coming into the season. And I guess you can say I was half right. Uh, would have been burned with Casimir. And, you know, once again, it's the whole health situation. We talked about him a couple weeks ago when we were talking about how to assign playing time to players that are normally injured. Skills and went out again this week and had just a fantastic outing skills-wise. He's made for that park. Once he got that control in order and, and and became more efficient with his pitches, the skills that he showed in Tampa that we all thought, you know, he was going to be an ace pitcher, it's come to fruition. You know, can he stay healthy? I you know, I'm not I'm not betting that he can, but you know, it, he's fooled us so far. He may be fooling us again. Tehran is a guy that, you know, the young pitchers, when you do their projection you're carrying through either a major minor league equivalent or you're carrying through some some numbers. Young pitchers grow and they mature, and, and, and the numbers that you're carrying and their foundation, their baseline projection, he may be a new guy. He may have learned, but you're still carrying those numbers through, which probably had something to do with the original projection being a little bit lower. Although, Adam ranked 47th out of starting pitchers, which means he's still a top three pitcher. On your on your mixed league staff in a fifteen team league, which is pretty good, third third or fourth pitcher, um, you know, is he going to have an innings limit? Is he going to be able to continue as the second half wears on? Continue with these rates? Uh, he had a little bit of a fade this time last year, but then just sort of ramped it right back up again. So he's been through it, and so I, I suspect he's going to be just fine the second half. He may not end up in the top ten, but top twenty, top twenty five is definitely plausible. Jake Arietta, you called him uh, a guy who's really got it together as a post-hype prospect. That's a term we usually apply to batters, but I think it applies here to Jake Arietta. Yeah, again, it's not one of those guys that you could look at the stats and write a great narrative, and who knows if it was really the case or not. But he came up with all sorts of all sorts of hype, as did several pitchers in the Orioles organization, and they seemed to sort of just take one, give him a few innings, and if he didn't work, send him down bring the next one up and just kind of yo-yo three or four guys. Brian Mattis was in there and even Britain before he became a closer. There were several of these, these, these pitchers that they sort of just cycled through and almost the spaghetti method, throw one against the wall and, and see who sticks. And he just never really got this chance. The one time that he got an extended amount of innings in 2012, he threw over a hundred innings and he had a K rate of 8.6 and, and a walk rate of 2.8. And those are both better than league average. He, he struck out more than league average, and he walked fewer than league average. But he had a 6.2 ERA that year, uh, just just pitched into some real poor luck. He had a horrible strand rate, left on base percentage, and uh, home run per fly ball was through the roof. And they just never gave him a chance to let regression take care of the numbers 
sent him back down and relief and starting and, and just kind of yanked him all around. Uh, you know, whether or not that sort of yanking around got into his head and, and, and therefore he wasn't pitching as well, who knows, be, between the bullpen and, and starting and all that stuff. But uh, the Cubs saw something. They took a chance, and they're in the sort of situation where that's what they can do. They can throw bullets, and and you know if anything, if Theo Epstein had anything to do with it, he was in Boston at the time where Arietta was a top prospect. He he has seen him, and for whatever reason, he's just gotten his act together. Now he's got some regression coming as well. But the scary thing, he's got an ERA under two, but his his FIP is at two, and his, and his xFIP is two point six. So. When regression occurs, and it's mostly in the ter- in, in, in home runs because his his BABIP's pretty much league normal. When he does allow a few more homers, it's not gonna hurt him as much as it might some other pitchers, just because he's pretty good with the control and he strikes out so many guys that yeah, the ERA is gonna go up a bit, but it's not gonna. You know, I still want Jake Arrieta on my team. I'm I'm not trashing him. Like uh, like we talked about Alfredo Simon on the on the podcast earlier in the week, and of course he goes out and has another great outing this week. But I'm still looking to get rid of Simon. I'm not looking to get rid of Arietta. You had uh, four guys in the second tier, ranked 11 through 20, whom you projected for negative value coming into the season. Uh, um, Simon was one of them, and you've already discussed him. The other three were Dallas Keuchel, uh, Garrett Richards of the Angels, and Jason Hamill, formerly of Chicago, now of Oakland. Hamill's been in the news. He did not look tremendous in his first game uh, for Oakland against San Francisco, but of those three guys, Hamill, Richards, and Keuchel, which one do you think has the best chance of being the guy for the rest of this year, and then how about for you know a year and two down the road? Uh, Garrett Richards, and I... I kind of had a mea culpa in that in that column, in that I, I kind of kicked myself for not recognizing Richards as a breakout candidate. Now, you know, I don't think we can ever, you know, he was going to break out. But if I had looked a little closer, the signs were there that if you know, I had a sleeper list, Garrett Richards should have been on it. And the way I play the game should have been on my reserve list or back-end pitching, and, and I just completely missed him. He had a good second half, which unto itself isn't predictive, but Mike Sosha doesn't know that and doesn't care. And all he knows is that Garrett Richards had a good second half, so he's going to get a shot in the spring for rotation time. A lot of these negative value, especially with Hamill and Richards, came because they didn't get the innings. I wasn't sure that they were going to be a, you know, a mainstay in their respective starting rotations. Uh, so a lot of that, that was, you know, an inning sort of thing. And Richards, now, again, I can't, I can't say that his strikeout rate was going to spike, but he had a better strikeout rate in the minors and at least could have said the possibility exists that Garrett Richards' strikeout rate as he's, you know, maturing and healthy now, uh, begins to climb back towards his minor league numbers. It wouldn't have been, you know, I'm not saying he would have done it, but it would have been very fair to say it could happen. Now, who knew that it was going to get to the point that it is, and it probably won't sustain itself. But I do think that Richards is now at the point where uh, his skill set is solid. It's a better-than-average skill set. I'm not as worried about injuries as they may have been in the past. And, you know, I'm kind of regretting the fact that I don't have Garrett Richards in any of my traditional teams this year. Next year he's probably going to be overpriced, so I'm probably not going to have him next year. But at least I can use him on some of the uh, some of the daily games and in 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 the Chandler Park as my monthly pitcher as well. So I do get to to 
to root for Garrett Richards at, at, at some point this year. And how about Coykel and Hamill, a little less optimistic? Uh, no, actually, I like them both, actually. Hamill has shown really, really good skills, even with, you know, with Baltimore, and even with Colorado. I mean, it was Colorado, so they got masked. But he's shown some really good skills. And I'm not already worried about the, the first game in Oakland. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, there was some sort of minor injury that Hamill was working through that they're not too, they're not too concerned about in the in the column. And, I, and I, I'm not, again, it's not... Actually, you know what? I am predicting it. If, if Hamill's healthy, I think he could have better numbers than Samarja over the second half. And it's not so much an indictment on Samarja as it is a trust in Hamill's skills. Keiko, um, I know a little bit about the Houston organization. I know they're pretty savvy. And, I, and, and when an entire team or, or three or four guys on their staff, and you've got Keiko and, and Jared Cozart and, and a couple other guys there as well, uh, when they, when, when there's a, a number of pitchers that seem to be pitching above their heads or, or better than their peripherals, there's probably something going on, whether it's approach or, or coaching or, or there's probably something going on there. So with Keiko, I am fairly optimistic that he's going to sustain a lot of what we're seeing. I don't know if he'll be in the top 20, but, you know, top 40, top 50 is still pretty good as you're, you know, a third or fourth. If he's still a starting pitcher that you're willing to start regardless of matchup, I think that's pretty good from from coming out of nowhere. So Keuchel's another guy that I'm not looking to sell high on. Uh, you know, I am not uh, you know trying to get rid of him. If I've got him, I'm pretty happy about it, and I look forward to a a pretty strong second half. You're optimistic about Max Scherzer. He's in tier three, which is uh, getting down to the kind of 10 to 19 range. He's a $10 pitcher so far this year. You remain optimistic, and uh, I am too, but I'd like you to explain your position. Well, Max Scherzer's skills are the exact same as they were last year, skills being strike, weight, and rock, walk rate. They're actually a tad better. Um, and, well, you know, they're so close that it, you know, the, the skill, they almost, they almost line up. You, I call it table because you can, put a table on the skills and put a ball on the table and the ball's not going to roll anywhere. It's so flat. He's just had a couple of, of, of rough outings uh, that maybe he didn't have last year that have just sort of ballooned up the ERA. Um, and there's a pretty good chance that he's not going to have another four-inning, ten-hit, ten-earned run outing like he did against Kansas City in the middle of June. And there was another a stretch. We had a seven-run Five run. Actually, it's amazing that his ERA is where it is, having a stretch where he gave up four or more runs in uh, five, five out of six games. So it's actually kind of testament to how you know he's still <laughs> how good he really is. The fact that he was able to have that horrible stretch where he gave up ten, four, four, five, and seven runs. Uh, he did have a shutout against the White Sox in between there, but that's that's a lot of runs to have an ERA sitting presently at three point three five. So, you know, going forward, I think that's the picture we're going to see. His, um, his FIP and XFIP are actually below his real ERA, which is, which is a good sign. So sometimes we, we, we see a game or we remember that game where he got really hurt and we saw our fantasy team jump from or fall from first to third or something. And, and we forget that that was one isolated incident. And it's not likely to happen again. And, and Scherzer's just as good, if not better than he was last year. That was a, a peculiar stretch for Max Scherzer. I remember he's on one of my teams, and I, I remember watching uh, the game against Cleveland where he gave up seven runs in seven innings and uh, quite a lot of hits, too, if I remember right, over ten hits. And uh, 
I thought to myself, well, that was odd. And then the next time out against Oakland, uh, this is also on a road trip, I think, and, and uh, he gives up five. And then, as you said, four, four. He got the shutout against Detroit, and then he gives up 10 uh, in a home start against Kansas City in just four innings. And before that stretch started, his ERA was at 183. And after that 10-run game, it was at 384. So his, his ERA went up by two full runs. And now he's pushed it back down with a succession of solid outings, one one earned run in three out of four and two earned runs in the other. And he's got his ERA back down to 335. And so the question is, how do we analyze five starts like that, especially with that shutout right in the middle of it? I don't know that I bother. I mean, it's Mac. It's the certain guys that you just, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to actually, part of the reason why the numbers were so bad is because he is Max Scherzer and the manager's, you know, not going to take him out when he gets in trouble in the third inning. They're going to try to let him work through it. And most of the time he works through it, you know, for a couple of games in a row, instead of striking that guy out with two out and two on, he, you know, gave up a double in the gap and two runs scored and, and suddenly it's a, it's a, it's a disaster of an outing. And it's the same for the fantasy owner. You're not going to try to bench Max Scherzer because he's going to, you know, you think might be a, a tough start. You just leave him in your lineup. And by the end of the season, you know, the numbers will be there. Uh, now, in the midst of it all, I guess I'm concerned more about injury than I am about anything else. And he seems to have come out of that healthy. I don't recall off the top. I mean, I can go back and do some reverse engineering research and what, you know, what may have gone wrong. You know, the, the, the stats that we have nowadays are wonderful in telling us what happened, you know, where he pitched and what was the velocity and what zone was it in and the number of pitches that he threw and, and the break and all that sort of stuff. Well, we don't know how predictive that sort of stuff is yet. So I'm sure we can go back and see what was different as far as his stuff during that time period. And maybe he was hurt. Maybe he was just a dead arm or something like that. In the midst of that, I'm worried about injury, but if he makes through it healthy, I don't worry. At this point, over the second half, I'm not saying, uh-oh, what if that happens again? I'm saying I look at his his skills, his skills are fine, and I'm looking forward to a really good second half out of Max Scherzer. Todd, finally on this topic, you note that eight out of your preseason picks as top 20 starting pitchers are actually in the top 20 as we reach the halfway point, while for outfielders, 11 of your top 20 predicted picks are in the halfway top 20. I know this is uh, interesting to you and you plan to look into it. What are you looking to learn? I am looking to learn how to draft better. Uh, I, I think... We've talked about it and mentioned a little bit earlier that pitchers, top-tier pitchers as a subset, are becoming more reliable. I want to sort of compare those to the outfielders because I don't believe in position scarcity. I believe in taking the best stats at the beginning, and, and, and I'll find my middle infielders and third baseman later. So it's the easiest comparison is against outfielders. Uh, do do outfielders hold their value in relative to expectations better or worse than starting pitchers? It might help uh, map out my early drafts a little bit better. Uh, you know, the expression goes, you can't win a draft in the first round, but you can lose it. Well, I don't know. I, I think you can sort of help yourself win the first round by, by making the right pick. And I want to make better picks. So that's what I'll be doing. It's a little early now. Again, outfielders would pop in and Outfielders will fall out, and same with pitchers. But, and again, you know, you can't necessarily say one year and say that because it happened in 2014, it's going to happen in 2015. But I can go back over the past several years and, you know, using my own methods and systems decide if the, uh, 
it's worth pitching, picking an outfielder or pitcher early, at least in terms of reliability. Would you be doing the same thing for all the positions, catchers, middle infielders, and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, yes, I would. And one of the reasons why I did it with just outfielders is with so many you know, 50 pitchers and 50 outfielders can make the comparison bing, bang, boom. But I will definitely be doing, doing that because it could very much help. And I'm also going to factor in the replacement the if if one of these players were to get hurt what kind of player is available uh to backfill you know this this week we lost Yadimir Lina we lost Edwin Canarcion and um Brandon Phillips now I guess Phillips might not be in the same level as the other two but which of those players is their owner we lost Tanaka we can call a pitcher we can we say four we can say four players four different positions Right now in the middle of the season, who's got the best replacements for one of those four players? And I think that goes a long way, too, towards where are you going to invest in the draft? If you're, if you're dressed in a high-level player and he gets hurt and the replacement for him is just plain terrible, you might not want to invest in that player. Uh, so I think you have to sort of tie everything in together. So that's, that's sort of going to be a... Like I mentioned, I, I haven't cracked the code in drafts yet. I'm doing pretty well in auctions and always have. But, uh, you know, I want to do better in drafts. And to me, the game theory, it's beyond player evaluation. It's team construction. And I'm convinced that's where my shortcomings are, at least presently. And I think this will all sort of fold into helping uh, design a better map, a better pathway to success. Given the risk of the top round pick, the first and second round pick, and as you said, there's that adage about you can't win it, but you can lose it, and that may not be exactly so. But if you have bad luck in your first and second round picks, then you really have to hope that you land a a lightning in a bottle with your 21st and 23rd round picks, and that's fairly unlikely to be the case. Now, this raises the question, there are draft leagues that allow you, before the draft starts, to trade your draft positions. And and some guys believe very strongly in trading away their first and second pick packaged with their 22nd and 23rd and getting a bunch of 6, 7, 8s. So that they're eliminating their, their, their picks at the end of the draft and uh, moving up in, in exchange for moving down. What do you think of that strategy? I think in 2020 hindsight, it can be very successful. I think it's it's pretty risky. I think it's you, there will be players that emerge, and as these as the value list that I produ- produced at least the midway point, in every tier there's players unexpected that pop up. Whether you're going to be able to get those players or not, and whether there's a whether there's a knack or a skill or just plain dumb luck that you picked up Charlie Blackman or someone in that on that ilk, I don't know. I I myself would not want to do that. I mean, it's foot, it's fantasy football, it's not baseball, but those sort of trades are offered all the time and I still I kind of just want to go in with what I my my regular picks and just kind of go from there as opposed to trying to make those 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 sorts of moves. In baseball, I, I the top players are still the Trouts and McCutcheons and Goldschmidts and and Miggy, they're still producing at a, at a high end. So if I get a a top 5 pick, I'm nowhere. I'm not even close to thinking about that move. But, you know, on the back end, you, you know, if you had traded away your pick that you would have used for Prince Fielder, you'd be pretty happy right now. <laughs> but if you had traded away the pick that you would have used for, you know, Tulowitzki, you, you might not be so happy right now. So, I don't know. I think I personally would, would prefer 
to go with the first early round picks and and still hope to get lucky uh, in my later picks as opposed to just it's sort of just having more opportunities to get lucky. And I don't know that that's the way I want to proceed. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola. And Todd, uh, coming full circle to the All-Star Game and the All-Star Break, you had a column uh, at KFFL.com, your round table, where you asked your Knights of the Round Table what they are planning to do during the All-Star Break, and I'm curious what they said. A few different things. You know, we, uh, one of our friends of the show, Lar Michaels, is going to go and, and go in his musical retreat where he plays music with a hundred other people and they write songs and have competitions and and aren't plugged into the internet and i'm kind of jealous of him for being able to do that uh so you know lar as we know is a little bit different people that are actually going to be staying uh in town um the majority said they're going to watch the game that they're going to look at their teams they're going to do some second half evaluation analysis uh they think it's a good time to do some trading because uh, you know, things are slow, you, you can sort of develop a deal over the course of three or four days and not have to worry about did the guy play, did he get hurt, be you know recency biased, did he have a good or bad night the night before. A uh, couple guys said, you know what, I'm just gonna you know forget about it for a couple of days and just kind of recharge, which I you know I think I can agree with all this sort of stuff, but I'm kind of taking it a little bit little bit differently and and uh, you know I'm not ashamed to admit that you know i miss things i i you know as much as we we do this for a living and everything else i I still miss players that are no longer starting and are in a platoon or or are on my roster and they've been on bereavement or 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 something to that effect so i use this time to sort of make sure that my catch up with my teams and make sure i'm not making any mistakes make sure i'm fully aware of the roster do i have any players that i should have taken out or switched or switch roles or whatever and uh so that's kind of what i what i take this time for really do a scrub of of playing time and expectations for the second half that's my recharge my recharge is knowing that i'm as as prepared as i possibly can be to attack the uh the post all-star break a uh, little little less in the second half but the uh the time after the all-star break so i will be uh not taking a day off i may be spending more time on personal team-wise things i will answer a trade email but i won't be sending any out because then you sort of have to get involved and engage in a conversation and that takes away from me time and that's what this is all about me (laughs) for four days anyway uh so that's kind of my slightly different take all right todd zola thanks a million for joining us again enjoy the all-star break and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks looking forward to it patrick uh enjoy the game yourself Well, I'm not sure I'm going to watch, but thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, ChandlerPark.com, Fantasy Alarm, Masters Ball, ESPN, and he appears every other Friday here on Baseball HQ Radio. Our Baseball HQ commentaries are next. Stay with us for the Metric Minute, the Minor League Minute, pitcher matchups, and master notes on Baseball HQ Radio. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. 
Yes, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time for our Friday commentaries, and as I mentioned, there's more of them than there have been in past. Rob Gordon is on deck with the Minor League Minute, Greg Fishwick is in the hole with the pitcher matchups, and Ron Chandler is getting ready to bat clean up with master notes. We lead off the inning with our Metric Minute, and here to tell you about strand rate and how it affects ERA is Baseball HQ analyst Ryan Bloomfield. The amount of base runners that a pitcher leaves or doesn't leave on base can have a major impact on their ERA. So this week we're taking a look at one of our staple pitching metrics, strand rate. Strand rate is simply the percentage of allowed base runners that a pitcher strands on base. So the league average strand rate typically sits in the low 70s. Last season it was 73%. So 73% of runners were stranded on base last season. BaseballHQ.com research has shown that strand rate is largely a measure of luck. Uh, Typically, relievers and high strikeout pitchers tend to strand more runners, but in general, uh, major swings in strand rate typically revert back into the low 70s uh, the following season. So high strand rates above 80% are usually considered lucky and usually mean that a higher ERA is, is on the way. Uh, simply because the pitcher's allowing more base runners and they just haven't been scoring yet. Um, on the other side, pitchers with low strand rates, their uh, ERAs are typically inflated. Um, so, so low strand rates in the mid-60s or so are likely to see um, ERAs improve as time goes on. So a couple uh, 2014 examples for you. Uh, Josh Beckett actually has or had the lowest strand rate in baseball this year for starters, though he's now on the DL. Uh, but Beckett's 85% strand rate um, was a big driver behind his 226 ERA. Uh, that that high strand rate says it really just can't stay that low for for much longer when he comes back in the uh, in the rotation. A couple other starters with mid 80 strand rates: Zach Greinke, Johnny Cueto, Henderson Alvarez. You know, still good skills from these guys, but a high strand rate means that their ERAs are likely to go up rather than down uh, moving forward. Uh, moving on to some unfortunate hit rates, Brandon McCarthy uh, has the lowest strand rate among starters so far with a 66% uh, strand rate. That's been a huge driver behind his ERA near 5. Um, and actually, his expected ERA is almost two runs below that. So the skills do tell us to keep the faith with McCarthy uh, in, the Bronx, in the Bronx. Other guys include Wade Miley, who's having a great season skills-wise, but his ERA hasn't shown it. Uh, Justin Verlander, though his skills are definitely down, so we can't pin this all on a low strand rate. Ricky Nolasco, all these guys have strand rates below 70%. So be sure when uh, evaluating pitchers to take a look at strand rate, especially the extreme cases. Extreme cases. Um, it's on every pitcher's player link page on BaseballHQ.com. And remember that very low or very high strand rates typically correct themselves over time, bringing ERA along with it. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield writes for BaseballHQ.com and has the metric minute here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's the Minor League Minute, and here to look at Dodgers left-handed pitching prospect Julio Urias is Baseball HQ Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. 
With the 2014 Futures Games scheduled to take place this coming Sunday in Minneapolis, we take a look at one of the more interesting prospects on the world squad, the Los Angeles Dodgers' Julio Urias. The 17-year-old Urias is the youngest player in either squad and was signed by the Dodgers as an international free agent in 2012 after other teams shied away due to a tumor that had to be removed below his left eye. The surgery didn't impact his vision, and at 5'11", 160 pounds, the diminutive Urias has one of the better fastballs in the minors. It sits at 92 to 96 and has been clocked as high as 98 miles an hour. He gets good late movement, especially on his sinking two-seam fastball, and mixes in an above-average curve and a changeup that shows potential. Playing against older competition in the hitter-friendly Cal hasn't phased Urias so far, and in 13 starts, he is 1-1 with a 3.44 ERA, with 25 walks and 58 strikeouts and 52 and a third innings pitched. The Dodgers have been somewhat cautious with him to date, so it will be interesting to see how he responds to the big stage of the Futures game. Long-term, Urias has tremendous potential and has already established himself as a must-own prospect in all long-term keeper formats. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garapi, Chris Maloney, Nick Richards, Matthew St. Germain, and Brent Hershey have reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on the rising stars. This week, BaseballHQ.com's minor league team has a mid-season update on the top 50 prospects. Our daily call-up reports this week have looked at Cubs second baseman Arizmendi Alcantara, Boston catcher Christian Vazquez, Texas right-hander Roman Mendez, and others. And you want to check the minor league watch list, highlighting less heralded prospects who might have a clearer path to the majors. Looking this week, at relief pitching prospects like Arizona right-hander Derek Itell, Texas right-handers Phil Klein and Luis Alberto Bonilla, and many more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our pitcher matchup segment. Our Baseball HQ matchup ratings look at every starting pitcher matchup by pitcher skills and recent performance, as well as the strength of the opposing team, to arrive at a matchup rating from plus 5 to minus 5. We recommend pitchers with matchup ratings of 2.0 or higher, while we warn you against pitchers whose matchup ratings are 0 or below. Everything in between we consider to be a risk versus benefit play that you'll have to assess in the context of your team and your league. Now looking at coming matchups for all-star pitchers Adam Wainwright, David Price, and Johnny Cueto, as well as others, here's Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. In honor of the all-star game in Minneapolis next week, let's use the BaseballHQ.com pitcher matchups tool to see if any all-star pitchers have all-star caliber matchup ratings this weekend. We'll feature four All-Stars, but only one is from the American League, at least for now, and that's David Price. His Rays host the Jays in Tampa on Saturday. Price puts his matchup rating of 153 up against Drew Hutchison's 118. Tampa Bay is one of the hottest teams in the majors heading into the All-Star game, and Toronto is one of the coldest. But just as their recent records are reversed, so are their run differentials. Toronto scores more runs than it allows, while Tampa allows more runs than it scores. Toronto is below 500 on the road, and Tampa is below 500 at home. Toronto is below 500 against lefties, and Tampa is below 500 against righties. It may look like a low-scoring affair with an edge for the Blue Jays, 
but Price has PQS doms in eight of his past nine starts, twice as many as Hutchison. So Price should head into the All-Star game with another fine start in his line. The other All-Star Saturday starter is the St. Louis Cardinals' Adam Wainwright. He has the second highest of our featured matchup ratings this weekend, a 221. But he faces a formidable opponent on the road in Milwaukee, Marco Estrada. Estrada has the higher matchup rating of 233. But the Brewers are struggling of late, winning only two of their past 10 games. Meanwhile, the Cardinals have won 19 of their past 30 and could pass the Brewers for first place in the National League Central by sweeping their weekend series. The teams have similar run differentials, and the Cards are 500 on the road, while the Brewers are over 500 at home. But five of Estrada's past six starts have been PQS 3s, and the other was a PQS 2. He's reached the seventh inning only once since the end of April. Wainwright has reeled off PQS dominant starts in eight of his past 11, and he's gone seven or more innings in eight of his past nine. Things are looking up for Wainwright as he heads into the All-Star game, and Saturday should be no exception. Our Sunday All-Stars are not likely to pitch in the big game on Tuesday, but they deserve some recognition as well. Johnny Cueto was voted the Baseball HQ Radio National League Fantasy Cy Young Award winner on the Midseason Awards podcast. He has the highest matchup rating among All-Stars this weekend, a 278 for his contest at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates' Francisco Liriano. Liriano is scheduled for his first start after an oblique injury suffered June 10th. He restarts his season with a matchup rating of 168. The Pirates have won 13 of their past 20, but they are six games below 500 on the road and 10 games below 500 against teams that are over 500 themselves, like the Reds. The Pirates allow more runs than they score, and the Reds score more runs than they allow. In 19 starts, Cueto has given up three earned runs or more only three times. He has no PQS disasters, and eight of his ten home starts have been PQS dominant. Liriano's first five starts were all PQS dominant, but seven of his next nine were PQS disasters, and he finished the sixth inning only once. Cueto should go to the All-Star game on a Reds carpet. Also on Sunday in the National League, All-Star Julio Tehran heads into Chicago with a matchup rating of 190. He faces Travis Wood, who has an even better matchup rating of 308. But the Cubs are only one game above 500 at home, and against righties, the Cubs have the worst record in the majors. On the road, the Braves are one game above 500, and against lefties, they are also one game above 500. The Braves have won 13 of their past 20 games, and the Cubs have lost 12 of their past 20 games. Atlanta scores more runs than it allows, while Chicago allows more runs than it scores. In his past nine starts, Wood has one PQS Dom and three PQS Disasters. Tehran's most recent start was a PQS Disaster, but before that, he had nine straight PQS Doms. Look for Tehran to have a strong showing in his final start before the All-Star game. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. If your league rules or format let you take advantage of pitcher streaming or matchups, you need to check out our daily matchups reports, as well as the exclusive Baseball HQ Pitcher Matchups tool only at BaseballHQ.com.
Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly comment on baseball and fantasy baseball, and here to talk about a way to play fantasy baseball with the All-Star Game, and to possibly violate federal law in the process, is Baseball HQ founder Ron Chandler. For some of us, the All-Star break is a nice mid-season respite from the daily drone of accumulating statistics and shifting standings. For the other 99% of us, the break is four days of interminable darkness. The All-Star game itself is, well, a distraction. While it determines the home field advantage for the World Series, that value is still artificial. But it doesn't have to be that way. This year, I'm going to give you a reason to watch the game with more than just a passing interest. About nine years ago, I introduced a fantasy game that revolved around a single Major League Baseball contest. It was gold, Quint Inning. While it generated a bit of interest back then, I haven't done much to sustain the early buzz. The All-Star Game is a terrific opportunity to reintroduce the concept. And if you're not already intrigued enough, here is one more reason to consider playing it this Tuesday. The federal government says this game is illegal. Now, the feds are not going to break down your door and arrest your friends in the same way that you're pretty well safe playing poker down in your basement. But you won't ever find online quint-inning tournaments like you can find most other daily fantasy contests. Still, this can be a lot of fun. Here are the rules, adjusted slightly for the All-Star Game's larger roster sizes. First, start with five owners. Prior to the first pitch, conduct a draft where each owner selects five players. This can be done as a simple snake draft, or if you're more ambitious, auction off the 25 players. Give each owner a budget of $50 of real or fake money. Scoring is simple. For batters, singles, walks, hit by pitches, and stolen bases are one point each. Doubles are two points, triples are three points, home runs are four points. Pitchers get one point for each out recorded, but lose one point for every hit or walk they allow. This is a little different from the standard game and is done to accommodate the fact that there will likely be a pitching change almost every inning. At the beginning of the fifth inning, each owner has the option of doubling any future points for one player on his roster. We call that player the quint. Points for all batters are doubled beginning in the ninth inning. That means the quint's points are potentially quadrupled. At the end of each inning, you can cut players, claim players from a free agent pool, or trade players. You must maintain five players at all times, so all ads, drops, and trades must keep your roster square. Free agent claims are done in reverse order of the standings. If two teams are tied and both want the same player, I find it helpful to have a deck of cards handy. The owner who draws high card would get the player. Now, quintinning is a betting game which is one of the reasons it's technically illegal. Owners need to ante up to play, typically five bucks, though if you're using a $50 auction budget, that works fine. Then it costs a dollar per inning to stay in the game for the second through the fourth innings, and beginning in the fifth inning, the stakes increase to $2 per inning to stay in the game. Now, owners can fold at any time, forfeiting any monies they contributed to the pot, their players are then released into the free agent pool and are available available to the remaining owners in reverse order of the standings. Finally, the owner with the most points at the end of the game wins the pot. 
The All-Star Game is a terrific venue for quint inning because there are so many players. Conceivably, I imagine you could expand the game to six or seven owners. Even with a $5 buy-in and five owners, the pot by the end of the game could be 90 bucks if everyone stays into the end. Not a bad payday for three hours of work. I'd be interested in hearing from any of you who take Quint Inning out for a spin. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler of BaseballHQ.com. Ron Chandler is the founder of BaseballHQ.com, and he's a member of the Master Notes rotation here at Baseball HQ Radio. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition for July the 11th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 50 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch news analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Friday Talk with Todd correspondent was Todd Zola. Our Metric Minute commentator, Ryan Bloomfield. Our Minor League Minute commentator was Rob Gordon. HQ Matchups commentator was Greg Fishwick. And our Master Notes commentator was Ron Chandler. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can also check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. But more importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with another edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt. <laughs>